Let us prepare our hearts for the reading of the Word of God. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Many crowns the Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of Him who dies for that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, 
How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple 
praising God. Crown in the Lord of heaven, one with the Father known, one with the Spirit through him given from yonder glorious throne to Good morning. Good morning. He is risen. He is risen so good to be together this morning. So if you haven't been with us uh, this week, we've been taking this week, spending time simply walking with Jesus through his final week on earth. We walked with him through what we call Palm Sunday last night, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then on Friday, we walked with him through the final hours leading up to his death. And today we walk with him on the first day of his resurrection. And our goal through the whole week has been simple, simply to see Jesus, to see him, to experience him in the fullness of who he is. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Simply notice Jesus, walk with him, see the joy of his resurrection and experience the journey that he takes his first disciples on on this first day of his resurrection. And as, as you read Luke's account, that, that's what I notice is there's this process, this journey that Jesus takes them through of slowly, gradually opening them up to the reality of his risen life. And so today that's what we're going to do. Just enjoy the journey that he takes with his disciples. Uh, no big uh, insights from me this morning. No big lessons at the end. I just want to literally just enjoy the journey together and walk this journey with Jesus and his disciples on that first resurrection Sunday. So if you have Bibles, it would be helpful to turn them to Luke 24 or some sort of cellular device that may have a Bible on it or your choice. Uh, If you've got it, that will be helpful. I hope there are no firemen in the room because we are toast with code right now. Just thinking (laughs) we're in big trouble. All right, so let's enjoy the journey together. I think it's helpful to to picture the characters at the very beginning of this first Easter day. Okay, you've got the disciples and then you've got Jesus. So let's just, I want to take a minute, picture the disciples at the beginning of this day. You have the women who come to the tomb. You have the 11 apostles. You have those two on the road to Mace and, and the others with them. So this day for them, began in utter despair, right? They are emotionally exhausted. They're confused. They're demoralized. They're afraid. This man, Jesus, who, who they have followed for three years of their lives, gave up everything to follow him, who has loved them like no one has loved them, who has literally transformed their lives. He's dead. He's dead since Friday. And with his death, the death of all these hopes they had for, for who they thought he was going to be and what he was going to do, that he was going to set up a kingdom for Israel and they were going to be on the front end of this new kingdom. And so they, are, they wake up in utter despair. And what we're going to find in this passage is they actually 
they had enough information in that moment to maybe have expected something interesting to, to happen. They had the Old Testament scriptures, which talked about the sufferings of the Messiah and his resurrection. More, more uh, to the point, they had Jesus' own words throughout his ministry that this is exactly what was going to happen. Let me show you one example of where Jesus does this. He does this like three times in the gospel accounts. This is earlier in the gospel before he dies. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Pretty straightforward, right? Their response, the disciples did not understand any of this. Uh, its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. <laughs> they had no category in their thinking for a Messiah who would come and suffer and die. Like crucified Messiah was an oxymoron. It's a complete non-starter. There's no, there's no imagination for that possibly. That's how God's Messiah, how his life would play out. And so they just don't get it. And they're blinded to that reality. What they needed that first Easter morning was revelation. They needed the risen Jesus to open up their hearts and minds and their eyes to the truth of his risen life. And that's what we all need today too in our own ways. We need the risen Jesus to open up our hearts and minds to the truth of who he is, to his joy, to his love, to his peace. So they start their day in despair. And then you have Jesus, of course. And I want you to to picture what the beginning of that day was like for him. Okay? Try to picture him. So at some point, he's been dead since Friday, but at some point he, he comes to early in the morning in the darkness of a tomb. The stone is not yet rolled away, and he wakes up in darkness, feels himself coming into his body again, uh, and it is a new body he gets. It's not just a, a resuscitated body. He's coming to in a resurrection body, okay? It's, a, it's, a, it's kind of the same body, but it's a different body. There's other people before him who came to in a, in a resuscitated body. Think like the story of Lazarus, right? Jesus raised other people up. Those people got resuscitated bodies, but those bodies that came to, they would decay again and eventually die. Lazarus died. Jesus comes to in a resurrection body. It's a new body. It's what the author of Hebrews calls the power of an indestructible life. Okay? You could not kill this body if you tried. And so I want you to try to picture him in those early moments. He comes to in this new body, still in the darkness. I picture him just sitting there in the darkness for a second with this incredible sense of expectation and anticipation and joy as he plans to reveal himself to his friends. The cross is behind him. The heaviness that always kind of laced his public ministry is gone. That burden has been lifted. And now there's just joy in anticipation. And then at some point, the stone is rolled away and he steps out into the dawn of this new day. He steps into a garden. Like the first man, Adam, who stepped into a garden. Now you have the new Adam coming from the grave, offering a new kind of human life. It's a new addition. It's humanity 2.0. And he steps out to reveal himself to his disciples. So you've got the disciples devastated, confused. You have Jesus. 
anticipation, joy, excitement. And what you see in Luke's account, well, I, I, I said this earlier, you see this process. Jesus takes the disciples on a journey of revelation, this process of, of revealing himself. And in the story, to me, it almost reads like this game of hide and seek, where Jesus kind of, he reveals and then he conceals, and he shows up and then he disappears. And there's this process of opening their hearts and minds to the full truth of what has happened. And so I want to just walk through this process today, today and enjoy the journey and the process together, all right? Okay, so we're going to take this in three scenes. We're going to move through this really quickly. You've got three scenes. Scene one, you have the women coming to the empty tomb, verses 1 to 12. Let's take a look. So on the first day of the week, these women come to the tomb. If you look at verse 10... We get a little more detail on who some of these women are. Take a look at verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, right? So we get a sense of who some of these people are. Uh, Earlier in Luke's gospel, we get uh, a little detail on some of who these women are. I thought it would be helpful uh, to see that. This is back uh, earlier in Luke's gospel when Jesus was doing his public ministry. It says, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, the 12 apostles. And then here, and also some women, and listen to this description of these women, who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Man, there's a story there I'd like to hear. Right? Uh, oops. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. There's a story there I'd like to hear about. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them, the, the disciples and Jesus, out of their own financial means. Because you had this group of women, and Jesus transformed their lives. He brought healing and wholeness, and they became his disciples. And some of them were women of, of some means, and so they were the support financial support for Jesus' ministry. And you see them throughout the Gospels as these faithful disciples. They're faithful with him through his ministry. They are faithful at his crucifixion. They're there at the cross. And now we see them as the first ones to the tomb on Easter Sunday. And so they come. And verse 4, we find out that they come to, uh, or actually verse uh, 2, that they come to a tomb that has been opened. Okay, And that word open is going to show up a lot, that theme of opening. Uh, It's been open and it's empty. There's no body in it. And it says in verse 4 that the women were wondering about this. Literally, a better translation, they were perplexed. They were confused. They're they're at a loss to explain an empty tomb. Apparently, resurrection is not the first thing that comes to their minds. Okay, They have no expectation of that. And so they don't know what to make of this empty tomb. Uh, Verse 5, these two angels appear to them and address them with uh, one of my favorite questions in all of scripture. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? This is a tomb. This is no place to find a living person. And Jesus is alive. The implication is, why are you looking for them here? Why are you looking for him here? And then in verse 6, he opens their minds to what Jesus had said previously. Verse 6 
He is risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Ah, he opens their minds and they remember the words. He said he said he was going to do this. And then in verse 9, they go off and they become witnesses to the other apostles, to the, to the 11. They become the first witnesses of the resurrection. They tell them what they have seen and heard. And uh, uh, the men don't fare as well in the resurrection account as the women do. Let's just be honest about that. Uh, the 11 and the others hear this, and in verse 11 it says this, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Again, they just they have no category. There's not expecting this. There's no way this has happened. Verse 12, Peter, to his credit, actually does go and run to the tomb. He checks it out for himself. He sees the empty tomb, and it says he went away wondering what had happened. Not believing necessarily, but wondering, amazed, confused. So that scene one, still no Jesus. A little bit of hide and seek going on, but an open and empty tomb. All right, let's look at scene two. Uh, Verse 13 and following, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, This is my favorite scene in all the resurrection accounts. I absolutely love love this encounter that Jesus has with these two guys on their way to Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven miles from Jerusalem, which is, you know, a couple hours on feet. I can do it in about 30 minutes, but, you know, something like that. Uh, We have no idea why these two guys are going to Emmaus, and we have absolutely no idea what the risen Jesus is doing on the road to Emmaus. What is he possibly doing on this road? But he happens to be there. He's there. Verse 15. As they were talking, these two together, discussing these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, They were kept, scholars call that tense, the divine passive, meaning God is at play here. Okay, Jesus is going to reveal himself to them, but he's going to do that in his time. And until then, they are kept from recognizing who he is. A little more hide and seek, as I said. And I love the journey theme of this second scene, right? These, these guys are on a seven-mile physical journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. But on that journey, Jesus is going to take them through this spiritual journey of opening them up to the scriptures and opening them up to the truth of his risen life. So he walks along and pretends not to know what's been going on. He asks, what are you guys talking about? Verse 18. I love this. Cleopas, it's the only time we hear this guy, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Okay, that's what we call irony, literary irony, right? Reality, he is the only one who knows what's happening these days. Everybody else is in the dark. Jesus is the only one in the know. I, I just, I pictured Jesus having to hold back a, a smile as he's kind of gently rebuked by one of his disciples for not being in the know here. I love, love this dynamic. What things, he says, what are you talking about? And uh, they describe all that's happened with Jesus in his ministry and his death. And, and what beca- I won't read the description again, but what becomes clear is what they've concluded after all is said and done is Jesus was a prophet. He was one of the great prophets. We had hoped he might be something even more, but clearly in light of his death, he was a prophet. And they share that with him. And Jesus responds in verse 25. 
He said to them, after hearing this, he starts to open them up. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Their answer would have been, of course, no, he did not have to suffer these things. That's why we're confused right now. Jesus is saying, this is the way it had to be. This was part of God's plan all along. And then I love verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for that conversation? Like the greatest Old Testament Bible study of all time. <laughs> right? You have Jesus, the, the, the Son of God, opening up, explaining the word of God, showing where it all points to him, showing himself revealed in God's word. Amazing, amazing. Wish I could have been there. Uh, we have no idea what he walked them through, right? What passages did he talk them through? Uh, he may have started with Genesis. He may have told the story of Abraham and Isaac and how God had called Abraham to sacrifice his, his son, his beloved son, and how Abraham was going to do that. And then right before the sacrifice, God stopped him and he provided a substitute sacrifice. And there was a ram caught and, sac- and Abraham got to sacrifice that ram instead of his son. Maybe Jesus talked them through that. Maybe Jesus talked them through the story of Exodus, of God rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt, and how at the 10th plague, when the the firstborns of Egypt were going to die, how God commanded Israel to slaughter a perfect lamb, take some of the blood of the lamb, and wipe it on the posts of their their front doors, their doorposts, so that when the angel Lord came through, when he saw the blood of the sacrificed lamb, he passed over those houses and spared them. Maybe Jesus talked them through uh, the story of Numbers where Israel's out in the wilderness and they're being bitten by these poisonous snakes and people are dying. And God has Moses take a bronze snake and lift it up on a pole like a cross so that anybody who looks at the snake will be healed of their disease. Maybe Jesus took, took them through the various prophets, prophets like Isaiah who foretells of this suffering servant figure, this chosen one of God who would suffer on behalf of the people, whose wounds would heal the people, whose, the, the people's punishment would be on him, and God would make many righteous through this suffering servant. I would love to have been there. I would love to hear what he actually did, but we aren't given insight to that. Uh, what we do know is the impact it had on these two men. If you look at verse 32, they reflect on the experience, and here's what they say. We're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened, there's our word, opened the scriptures to us. Our hearts are burning as the the meaning of the scriptures were opened to us. So he opens the scriptures to them, but he still has not yet opened their eyes to the fact that it's him. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, uh, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. So sneaky sometimes, very sneaky. Uh, They're a good, hospitable host. They urge him, no, 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 stay with us. It's nearly evening, so okay, I'll, I'll stay with you tonight. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. I love this. He opens the scriptures first, and then in this very earthy human act of breaking bread. Somehow he also, he's become the host of this meal. He's gone from like guest to host. Not sure how that happened, um, but he's become host. And in this act of breaking bread, giving thanks and giving it to them, their eyes are open. 
And of course, these two had probably seen him do that so many times. Famously at the feeding of the 5,000 where he broke bread, gave thanks, and miraculously fed 5,000 people. Or most recently, of course, at the, the Last Supper, just half a week earlier in the upper room where he broke bread and said, this is my, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you on the cross. And they, they see that in this moment. Their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And then what's the next thing Jesus does? Disappears. Yeah, out of here. What's up with that? Hide and seek. I love it. He just disappears. And they're like, what? Oh, you're gone. And these guys go on this journey. They end up in Emmaus. And then what do they do? They turn around and they head back to Jerusalem. And they become, like the women, witnesses of what they have seen and heard. And I love picturing the journey back. We don't get any details. But seven-mile journey, a couple hours walking back. I wonder what the conversation was. Filled with so much excitement, so much anticipation as they're looking forward to telling their friends that Jesus is really alive. Amazing. Again, from doubters to witnesses. All right, and then final scene, scene number three. Back in Jerusalem, it tells us uh, that this is the 11 and those with them. I picture pretty much everybody in the chapter back together. The women, uh, the 11, the two from Emmaus, they're all gathered together. The Jesus community is now gathered together in Jerusalem, talking about all these things. Jesus has since appeared to Peter, it tells us. I'm sure they had a very interesting conversation in light of what had happened with Peter the day Jesus was, you know, was he's killed and his betrayal, but Jesus gives this special time for Peter there. And they're all back together talking about all that's happened. Verse 36 While they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them, right? Just appears. Hide and seek. Here I am. Stood among them with these words on his lips. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Love that. That word peace. That's a loaded word, I imagine, in this moment. Uh, In the immediate, of course, it means don't be scared. (laughs) It's me. Don't be frightened. But of course, in light of all that's happened, I can't imagine that it doesn't carry deeper connotations. Peace, shalom. In light of what I've done on the cross, in light of my resurrection, you have peace with God. So good. How do they respond? Verse 37, they were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. Not too quick on the uptake were the disciples that first day. Verse 40, while while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, okay? Slow to comprehend fully what is going on. They think he's a ghost. I love Jesus' words, verse 38. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. And I love this. It is I myself. It's me. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. Guys, it's me. It's the Jesus you know. And I am flesh and blood. I am, I am fully human. Here I am. Okay, and he gives them two very tangible uh, evidences of his fleshliness, his humanity. He says, look at my hands and feet. You can touch them. And then he says, you got anything to eat? And they give him some fish. He's like, watch me. I'm going to eat this. The fish is not going to drop straight to the ground. It's going to absorb in my body. I'm real. It's me. I'm human. Of course, he's a new Kind of human, as I said, 2.0 human, risen human, but it's him. (laughs) So good. Verse 45. 
Then he, here's our word again, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This has been part of God's plan from the beginning. This is what God has been planning to do. This is what he's been up to all along. And finally, he opens their minds to that. And then look what he turns them into in verse 48. You are what? Witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. That's the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. They too are turned into these witnesses, these spirit-empowered witnesses to what they have seen and heard. Verse 50 and 51, what does he do after all of this? (laughs) Verse 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. He just disappears again (laughs) for good. (laughs) Verse 52, then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Finally, this full response of joy, of worship, of praise, waiting for the power of the spirit, waiting to become these witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. So there's the account. It's an old story, and it never gets old to me. It's an amazing story. The risen Jesus opening them to the reality of his resurrection, the open tomb, and then he opens the scriptures. He opens their eyes. Finally, he opens their minds to the resurrection, how it all fits within God's plan, taking them on this journey. Think of how they started the day, this journey from despair to doubt to amazement to wonder and then finally to joy, transforming these folks from skeptics into spirit-empowered witnesses. Beautiful. And as I said, that's all I want to say. I just want to enjoy that journey. No big analysis, no big lesson, other than to end by reminding us of this, that that journey, what he did, that is what Jesus Christ is still up to 2,000 years later. Working in the hearts and minds of men and women all over the world, working in our hearts and minds, opening us up to the reality of his risen life to his joy, to his peace, to his hope, to his goodness, the reality of who he is. Like those first disciples, I think we're often slow on the uptake. Uh, we're, 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 we're slow to trust. We're skeptical. Um, it's a process for us. And, and sometimes his pursuit of us, I think, feels more like a hide and seek than anything else. Sometimes more like hide than seek. It is this messy process. And yet, he's got us on this journey, like those disciples, this journey with him, revealing himself to us. And the beautiful thing is he can do that to millions of people. And yet, for each person, he can reveal himself in so, so many, such unique and intimate and personal ways. Revealing himself through his scriptures, revealing himself through the circumstances of our lives, revealing himself through one another, through all these different ways opening us up to the reality of his presence with us as our king, as our savior, as our friend, as our God, transforming us little by by little from skeptics into witnesses.
spirit-empowered witnesses who can testify to what we have seen and heard and who join in the Jesus story, join in the Jesus life that is so much bigger than any one of us. Let me leave you with this passage from 2 Corinthians. Paul says it this way. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He reminds us of back at the beginning of creation when there was nothing but darkness and God said, let there be light and he shined light into nothingness. That same God takes our human hearts that begin in darkness and doubt and confusion and self-centeredness. And he takes us on this process where he shines the light of his son Jesus into our hearts where we begin to be opened up to the reality of Jesus' goodness and his joy and his healing power, his transformation, his fellowship with us, all the goodness of who Jesus is. And so now we walk this journey with Jesus. It's a journey of joy. It's a journey of pain and struggle. But it is a journey with Jesus, with him as our king, as our savior, as our constant companion as our friend. That is the Jesus story. That is the Jesus journey. We're all invited into it today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you've conquered death. Thank you that you rose from the grave and that you are available to us now because you're alive. You're available with all the power that enables you to be in control of the universe. You're available to us as our friend and counselor and advocate, our guide, our king. And you're taking, you're taking us on this journey. We know it's, it's a messy journey. And we're messy. And we're so slow to trust. So slow to trust. So slow to let go of the hold of our own lives. To surrender to you. And yet here you are walking with us. And so today we give you honor and we say thank you. And we pray that in whatever way we need today, wherever we find ourselves, that you would shine the light of your goodness and your truth into our hearts. Begin to heal, soften, transform, and free us to live the lives that you've invited us into. To participate in your resurrection life, Lord. So we now sing to you. Because this day is not about us. This day is about you. And all around the world, millions of voices are going up to you. And we are just a tiny little bit of that. And we get to join in that great chorus. And so now we do join in. Acknowledge this is your day. And we pray that you would be glorified. That you would be pleased by all that you hear and see in us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.